What an awesome last Sunday. Last Sunday was, can we get a huge round of applause for Block of Blessing 2018? What an incredible day. And as you can see, I wasn't really in the video much because I took a lot of the day just taking laps with my clipboard around the block. So thank you for all of you who worked super hard uh, last Sunday. But what an incredible thing to look back and see the impact that we can make over one day as a group, as a church, not just attending a church, but really being a church. And that's what, that's what last Sunday was. So uh, thank you isn't enough to all of you guys who volunteered hours and you know, helped watch kids who helped do all this manual labor. But it's an, a great example of what we are called to be as a church. So thank you so much for all of you who gave uh, time, gave your energy, blood, sweat, and tears to that day because it was an amazing day. And we're already looking forward to uh, Block of Blessing 2019, which is in June of next year. So put that on your calendars right now, June of 2019, uh, just to get that out of the way. But uh, we're very excited to kick off a brand new series today called One Hit Wonders that Chris talked about earlier. And part of this series, we're going to have a couple of guest speakers, and one of those is joining us this morning. His name is John Alexander, and he is the creative or the executive director of Creative Arts and a teaching pastor at Eaglebrook. Eaglebrook is a large church here in the metro, and we were lucky enough to be a part of their uh, Eaglebrook Association a few years ago where they just helped equip local churches. So we love Eaglebrook and how uh, big of a heart they have for the local church. So we're very excited to have John with us this morning. He has a couple of cool tie-ins here as well. He's very close with uh, the Therian family, so he knows Mark and Ashley Therian very well. And he also even officiated Tony and Gina Taylor's wedding a few years ago. So he's got a lot of cool connections. So will you give me a huge Riverway welcome for John Alexander this morning as he makes his way out? John, thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. And I'm guessing that's probably the first and last time that your kind of lead-in song is 500 Miles no, by the Proclaimer. No, I don't so, think so. Uh, something to that's just remember. Good so. walk-up song. Yeah, thanks, John. Exactly. Thanks. Uh, anyways, it's good to be here. Welcome to Riverway. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to Riverway uh, and those of you joining us online. But, but I've heard so many good things about this church. Um, you know, things like the Block of Blessing is just one of those things that reverberates throughout the Twin Cities. And so way to go, way to go making it to church this morning. That's not easy to do either, especially those of you with little kids and stuff. So uh, way to go about that. You know, when they invited me to speak of this series called One Hit Wonders, I was offended. I thought they were talking about me. You know, this is one hit one. Anyway, so, but when I heard it was about songs, I was thinking as I was driving in, my favorite one hit wonder songs, the songs they played were really good, but my favorite one hit wonder song of all time, Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Do you remember that one? It's great. I think I could rap the whole song right now, but if I did that, half of you would walk out and never come back. Anyways, uh, to dive in here, without raising any hands, let me ask you uh, a, a question. Without raising any hands, how many of you are facing an important decision right now? Someone's like, does deciding between Chipotle or McDonald's later count as important? I'll, I'll let you think about that. But according to Columbia University researcher Sheena Iyengar, the average person makes 70 conscious decisions a day. How many of you are facing an important decision right now? As I just said, we make 70 conscious decisions a day, 25,000 over a year, 2 million over the course of 80 years. It's been said we're a sum total of the decisions we make in life. And if you're taking notes, I was just getting there. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way, the decisions you make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. I mean, isn't that true? Decisions like where to eat uh, Chipotle or McDonald's, they seem inconsequential, but those decisions add up. The food you eat, where you go to college, what or if you study while you're in school, who you date, the person you marry, the, the money you spend, the job you take, the place you live, the faith you pursue. Every decision today 
becomes a story we tell tomorrow. Now, some of you have already made a lifetime of decisions. The stories you are living right now are a direct result of the decisions you made years ago. But for most of us, we still have tens of thousands of decisions ahead of us. There is still a story to live and tell that will be directly affected by the decisions that you make today. So the question this morning is this, when faced with a decision, will God come through when you need the wisdom to decide? A couple of months ago, I was experiencing some discomfort in my teeth, but I was on my way to California with some friends, and so I really didn't have time to get it checked out. But once we landed, the pain in my tooth became devastating. I was ready to go Tom Hanks castaway on that tooth and just uh, yank it out myself. You ever had a pain that bad that you just wanted to rip out your tooth? But after tossing and turning most of the night, I actually decided to email my dentist for some help from California. Now, I don't know if you have your dentist on speed dial, but I do. I mean, I like to be on a personal, get a hold of you whenever my pain reaches beyond my low threshold contact with all of my medical professionals, okay? I'm that much of a wimp. So on April 12th, I actually wrote an email. I have it right here. I said, Dear Dr. DeYoung, my back right wisdom tooth is killing me. I thought it was just sensitive, but I've been taking care of it for a few days and still in pain. Problem is I'm in California until 1 p.m. on Saturday. Wondering what you think I should do. Any short-term remedies or should I come in? And I signed off, please help. Now, I honestly wonder how many emails she gets from desperate patients, but she graciously responded with some short-term solutions. However, when I got back to Minnesota, I, I still went in and had it looked at, and after checking things over, she said, you know, the best solution is to get that wisdom tooth removed. Now, time out. I've always prided myself on the fact that I have all four of my wisdom teeth. I, I kind of like it when the dentist looks in and says, wow, You've got all four wisdom teeth and plenty of room. It feels oddly affirming to me, especially after she gives me a sucker for being a good little boy, you know? So and I like that feeling. So when she said that tooth needed to go, my response was, oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I'm speaking soon. I think I meant in a couple months. I've got two kids at home. It's, my schedule's hard to coordinate. I'm just not sure that I'm going to be able to get that done. And her response was, you will literally be in and out in 15 minutes. It's simple, it's easy, and you'll be able to talk normal once the numbness wears off. Plus, she said, it won't even hurt. Now, first of all, that's what all dentists say, okay? Second of all, I still didn't want to get that wisdom tooth pulled. So on April 26th, this is now two weeks after I had initially emailed her, I, I, I wrote her back and I said, Amy, we're on a first name basis now, you know, my dentist and I. I said, Amy, I've been thinking, I may hold off a bit on getting my tooth pulled. The place I was referred to didn't use my insurance, which I think was partly true. Plus, it's not hurting as bad. And her email response back was this, you could probably go anywhere. It's an easy tooth to pull. If you don't, you'll have to crown it. I promise it will be easy. You can do it. Now, how lucky am I? My dentist is also my motivational life coach. This is great. She's like encouraging me. Now, needless to say, three months later, I know you're so concerned for me. We just met, but you're so concerned. Three months later, my back right wisdom tooth is still in there. Someday, okay, I'll get it pulled. But here's what I'm wondering. Here's the point. Why do I refuse to listen to the expert? Why do I refuse to listen to the one who has been trained, who has my best interests in mind and has the wisdom 
to know what the right decision is? Well, first of all, clearly because I'm a wimp, that's the first reason, but that's not the only one. It's because I'm also inclined to do what I think is best, no matter what others who are wiser than I am thinks is best. Maybe I'm not the only one who struggles with this. I mean, experts continually say that the key to a healthier life is to exercise three to four days a week for 30 minutes a day, and yet how many of us actually do that? Study after study shows texting and driving is far more dangerous than drinking and driving, and yet how many of us still sneak a text every once in a while? Eat more fruits and vegetables, less sweets. Don't spend more than you earn. Change your oil. Sleep seven to eight hours a night, floss your teeth, and yet sometimes we're more often inclined to do what we think is best rather than someone with more expertise or wisdom thinks is best. And that's exactly what happens in the scripture passage we're going to look at this morning in 1 Kings chapter 12. Now this is found in the Old Testament and maybe it's about a guy you've rarely heard about, but to give some context, King Solomon, you've probably heard of him. He was the third king of Israel and the son of King David. And now uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, has become the king of Israel. And so the leaders and, and the government of Israel, along with this guy named Jeroboam, who was one of the top officials for Solomon, summoned Rehoboam and said this. They said, your father Solomon and they're speaking to Rehoboam here, was a hard master. They said, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, and then we will be your loyal subjects. In other words, if you want to have favor with people, reduce the labor demands and taxes. Now, before Republicans start cheering, okay, this is not a scripture passage to dissect politically. Instead, Rehoboam is faced with the decision on how to begin well as the new leader, the new king of Israel. And so he says, this is an important decision. Give me three days to think this over and then come back for my answer. And so during those three days, King Rehoboam called a first group uh, together for counsel and he asked for their help. This is a group of elders, a group of elders who had walked alongside Solomon. They, they fought battles and they made some good decisions and some bad ones, but they had learned and gleaned wisdom along the way. And they had built the kingdom of Israel right alongside Solomon. So this was their advice. The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. In other words, listen to the suggestion of your followers and lighten the demands. But see, that wasn't the answer that Rehoboam wanted to hear. So he went about seeking a second opinion. And in the second opinion, he called together a group of young men that he'd grown up together with as friends. And the young men, this is now the second group, replied, This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. Tell them this, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So, so now he's got the advice and the counsel of this older group and the advice of his younger friends. What's he going to do? Three days later, everyone comes back to hear his answer. And, and you probably saw it coming, but it says this. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. In other words, he decided to lay even heavier burdens 
on the people. And as a result of this one decision, the people of Israel revolted. Rehoboam eventually had to flee the country and the kingdom of Israel officially split into two. Now Rehoboam eventually becomes king of the southern part, the kingdom of Judah, but with two of the original 12 tribes of Israel and the people make Jeroboam the king of Israel, the northern part, with 10 of the original 12 tribes of Israel. And his story ends like this. There was constant war between Rehoboam the king of Judah, the southern part, and Jeroboam. See, here's the thing. Rehoboam needed wisdom. And wisdom was available, but he listened to the wrong advisors, and it ended so badly that it destroyed a country. I mean, think about that. Who you listen to, the people that you surround yourself with, will often be the difference between the right and the wrong decision. So let me ask you, who are you listening to? What kind of wisdom is influencing your decisions? Because whether it's today, tomorrow, or in the weeks ahead, every single person will be faced with a decision that will require godly wisdom. And that decision will lead us down a path, good or bad, towards God or away from him. So by looking at the life of Rehoboam, when faced with a decision, really quick, I wanna show you three steps to take when you need wisdom to decide. And if you're taking notes, the first is this, start with God. You know, one of the things that struck me about Rehoboam's story is that we never see him praying. He, he doesn't go to God. He doesn't seek the wisdom of spiritual advisors. Instead, he just goes about seeking wisdom on his own. And I know this seems so simple. I mean, like you're in church, of course, the first point, start with God. Yes, we get it. Now get on to the good stuff. But, but I actually find this is more difficult to put into practice. You know, I wonder if sometimes we, we feel like our decisions are too trivial or unimportant to include him. Or, or maybe we just get so busy trying to decide on our own. I know I do this, that I forget to include and start by asking God first. But scripture is crystal clear. God will be gracious, it says in Isaiah 30. I love this verse. God will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond. Ask God is a God who wants to respond and help. Now, again, personally, I, I said this earlier, but I have not always done this well. In fact, we learned this the hard way about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, my wife Emily and I were working at a church in Las Vegas, but about two years in to living in Las Vegas, we wanted to come back to Minnesota. And so I apply, applied to attend a seminary out here in the Twin Cities, and I received a full ride offer. So we put in our two weeks notice at our job and uh, we, we sold our house or we put our house up for sale. We packed up all of our belongings. And about two days before we were set to leave Vegas, I received a phone call from the seminary and they said, um, John, we made a mistake. I said, oh yeah? They said, yeah, we offered 10 full ride scholarships, but we really only have money for seven. I said, well, what number am I? And they said, you're number eight. I said, we, we've put in our two weeks notice, we've sold our house, we're, we're all set to move, what are we supposed to do? And they said, sorry. I mean, needless to say, I, I pulled my admission, but we decided in that moment to move back to Minnesota anyways, this time with no school, no jobs, and no plans. And that started in that season a frantic process 
of trying to make decisions without following God's lead. I mean, I, I applied for any job I could apply for. I explored all kinds of ministry positions. I chased every lead. Frankly, Emily, my wife and I felt desperate and lost, which is not a great place to be when you're trying to make life-altering decisions. However, we eventually both got hired for jobs out in California. Emily as a resident director at a Christian college and myself as a pastor of junior high students. And looking back on that, did, did God want us to take those jobs in California? It's hard to say. I'm not even sure if we asked him. I, I mean, they were jobs. They came up at the same time. And so we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, sure, let's go. Now, this seems crazy to recollect, but the day that I was supposed to fly out to California and begin my new job out there, my older brother, Ryan, who's nine years older than me, a guy I've always looked to for wisdom and advice, he was adamant that I spend time talking to two men. Gus, who was an older, wiser father figure mentor in my life I'd known several years. Another man named Rick, who was an older, again, wiser man who was president of a different local college. And I was reluctant to have this conversation, but eventually I agreed. And after listening to the wisdom of these two men, I decided to ask my future employer for just a one-week pause so I could really discern the right way forward. However, when I called to ask for this one-week pause, my future boss responded and said, John, you clearly aren't going to work hard. He said, I haven't asked for a day off in three years. You're already asking for a week off. We don't want you to come any longer. And at that point, this really knocked the wind out of us because we thought that God had given us the answer. But once we gathered ourselves, we sought some more counsel, that's finally, now this is two months into it when it finally hit us. We had not been including God. We had been getting out ahead of God and we'd been dragging him behind our decision making. So finally, after two months of chaotically searching for the answers to life-altering decisions, we stopped, we paused, and we started by asking God for his help. I mean, sure, we kept actively searching for solutions, but we determined not to get out ahead of God. And it was in that season where we finally spent some time in prayer and discernment that we determined God wanted us to stay in Minnesota. And that's the time where we both applied for and accepted ministry positions here in the Twin Cities. And that decision became one of the very best decisions of our lives, all because we determined not to get out ahead of God. So let me ask you, are there any decisions where you are way out ahead of God, where you are dragging him behind your decision-making? Uh, maybe for you, you're facing a decision about where to apply, what to do as a parent, who to date, what to do with aging parents, what to do in a, in a health situation or when to retire. Stop the search and start by asking God for his wisdom. As you do, trust that he will guide you with the wisdom available from him. Second way to find wisdom is this, if you're taking notes, walk with the wise. Now thinking about this story, Rehoboam ended up taking the advice from the young friends that he had grown up with. And it was, friend, it was his friends that told Rehoboam to tell the people, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father beat you with whips but I will beat you with scorpions. Now, as I was studying this, this is like the Hebrew version of yo mama, yo dada trash talk, okay? I mean, Rehoboam's friends were hot-tempered. 
inexperienced, foolish trash talkers. I mean, think about some of your high school friends. They probably all weren't gems, right? And what if you went back and asked them some advice and for some wisdom right now in life? This is what he's doing. But here's the thing. How often would we rather go with the decision that makes us look good with friends? The approval of peers is a powerful force no matter how old you are. That's why if you want to walk with the wise, you got to, or if you want to become wise, you need to walk with people who are wise. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I by no means always made great choices. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about all the decisions that have just accumulated over my life. And I have made some really good choices and some really dumb ones, specifically the first couple years of school. And during that, that time in college, I made some dumb decisions. And I don't blame just this fact, but that was the season of life. I had just one Christ-following friend. Not a lot of great influence in my life, but over the years, I've also made some great decisions. And as I was thinking about some of those decisions, almost every one of them were a direct result of walking with people who are wiser than me. I, I can't even take credit for those decisions. It's the wisdom, the advice from people who are wiser than me. Over the years when I've needed advice about finances, I've sought the advice of people like Evan, Brian, Sean, Doran, who are godly stewards of financial wisdom. Early in my 20s when I needed relationship advice, it took my brother and sister-in-law to give me a swift kick in the rear to pursue a godly Christ-following woman named Emily McNamara rather than the girls I'd been pursuing. And that decision became one of the very best decisions of my life to marry her when I've needed wisdom about faith or, or even my career. I've spent countless hours with people like Bob and Jason, Jennifer, Aaron, Ryan, learning how to better follow Christ. Currently, I'm in a small group with five other couples so we can just learn from one another. But not only that, I'm an avid reader. I'm by no means perfect at this, but I really try to read my Bible every single day along with two to four great ministry, leadership, personal growth books a month. Now, why would I do all that? Because I can't make great decisions on my own. I wanna walk with the wise so I can become wise. Those are my companions. Who are you walking with? You know, I wonder today if, if some of the issues that, that maybe you're experiencing, I don't, want, I don't wanna assume here, but maybe you're experiencing are not because of desire or want to. Maybe it's because you're associating with too many fools. And that's not my word. That's the, that's the Bible, so take it up with God if you're offended by that. But maybe you want to get clean, but, but your best friends are fools who party every single weekend night. Maybe you're stuck in a rut, and, but your roommates are cynical, negative drags who are constantly bringing you down. Maybe you're facing an empty nest or retirement but your circle is filled with friends who are desperate to bring superficial excitement to their lives. Pastor Andy Stanley, a pastor in Georgia, says it this way, your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. I think that's true if you're 10, 50, or 80. You just won't find wisdom by walking with fools. But what happens when we walk with the wise? Well, we're able to see with more clarity live with more discipline and discern 
the right way forward. About a month ago, I was gripped by the story of the soccer team from Thailand, a group of 11 to 16-year-old boys along with their 25-year-old coach who had become trapped while exploring caves on June 23rd. They actually weren't found or discovered until nine days later, but because of flooding and navigating difficult terrain and tunnels, they were unable to be immediately rescued. And it was determined that the best way to get them out was that each boy would be paired with two expertly trained divers. One of these divers would swim alongside one of the boys while carrying their oxygen tank, guided by a rope, and the other diver would swim closely behind. Of course, there were hundreds of people on the ground, and turns out there was lots of people covering this situation in prayer, but the entire journey was dangerous and difficult. It was two and a half miles one way and would take five to six hours just to rescue one boy. The most difficult part was when these boys needed to separate from their divers, climb up onto this dry piece of land just 15 inches in width, and then dive back in before the divers would be able to join them. Now, miraculously, you probably know, all 12 of these boys, along with the coach, made it out alive. And as I was thinking about this story, one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons these boys survived was because these expert divers were there guiding coaching, directing every step of the way, every potential crack, every jagged rock, every scary situation, these experts were there to say, this is what you need to avoid. This is the step you need to take. This is the way forward. How much more wisdom would we have in life if we had people like these expertly trained divers to guide us along? And I'm here to say we do. God's word is full of people who made the wrong decision. And so God says through those people's lives, this is what not to do. It's also full of people who made the right decision. This is what God says, this is the way forward. This is what you're supposed to do. We've got wisdom through books, through the wise people in your life. The spirit of God wants to guide your decisions through his word and through the wisdom of other people. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools. Scripture's clear and get in trouble. Okay, finally, third way to find wisdom is this. Listen to and apply wise counsel. I mean, once we ask God and then walk with people who are wiser than us, we actually need to listen to what they say. This is the thing with Rehoboam. He actually heard the wise thing to do, and yet he didn't do it. You know, one of the fears for my generation, I'm speaking on behalf of millennials here. I'm 34, I'm right on that line. But one of my fears is that we're growing up without truly listening to the wisdom of those who have come before us. I mean, why would we, right? We, we've grown up in a Google world. No longer do I need my father's help on how to fix a car, landscape a yard, choose a profession, ask a girl out. We've got Google. And I thought this was interesting just while researching this message. The most Googled how-to questions of 2017. Here's a top 10 list. Number one, how to tie a tie. That's number one. Think about that. I, I don't wear a tie hardly ever. How to kiss, how to get pregnant. One leads to the other. Sometimes how to lose weight, how to draw, how to make money, get a job that seems so interesting. How to make pancakes. Now we just turn to breakfast foods. How to make pancakes. How to write a cover letter, another breakfast food, how to make French toast, and because of that, how to lose belly fats. It's kind of all tied in. But that's what people are searching for. I just thought that was interesting. But it seems like we don't need wisdom from older generations. We've got Google. 
And obviously, while Google does help, it doesn't provide wisdom. So I was thinking about the people that I want counsel and wisdom from. Job 12.12 says this, wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. I mean, let's be clear. Wisdom is not always about age. There are some truly unwise old people, okay? And there are some people who are wise beyond their years, but for the most part, the people that I want to listen to are the people who've lived some life. They've walked with Jesus for many years. Maybe life has beaten them up a little bit. They've been hurt. They've been bruised. They've been knocked down. But somehow these people have managed to get back up again. And now because of that, they walk with this humble, figurative limp. You know, they they don't have all the answers. They're slow to speak, quick to listen, generous and kind. They're full of wisdom because they've lived it. Google can provide some answers and knowledge, but it can't provide wisdom. Over the last couple of years, I've gotten to know this 91-year-old man named Roger. We actually met two years ago when I had the privilege of officiating his wife of 66 years funeral. And so for the last few years, we've actually sat down, Roger and I, numerous times. Really, just so I can listen and learn and, and hear the wisdom from a man who's walked with Jesus. He has loved his family fiercely and he's remained devoted to his wife until her passing For decades, there is wisdom that people can only share when they've lived it. And when we spent some time talking recently, I asked him, you know, why why should people listen to older generations? And he said, you know, John, they've experienced many things that they can pass on to you at no cost. And it may save you from some of the hardships later on in life that would be costly to you. I mean, isn't that true? This life is too valuable to not seek all the wisdom you can find. The decisions you make today determine the stories you're going to tell tomorrow. So what kind of stories are you going to tell? For just a moment, if I can speak to the older generations here. Now, I'll let you define older. I'm 34, Roger's 91, so just put yourself somewhere in that scale there. But we need your wisdom. We need your stability and presence. We need you to speak life and truth, but also to listen and learn. Maybe your most important decisions are behind you. Maybe instead you need to make this your prayer that King David prayed towards the end of his life in Psalm 71. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. And I'm sure that many of you are already doing that. Thank you for your faithfulness and your willingness to stay in the game so that you can proclaim God's might to another generation. But for everyone here, every person, maybe there's a decision that's come to mind immediately. It's just been looming over you. Or maybe there's a bunch of smaller decisions that are gonna add up. What comes to mind? As we close things up, maybe there's a decision where now it's hitting you. You really haven't brought God into it. What is that for you? Start right now. Ask God for his help. There's lots of things that come to my mind. He wants to help. He will graciously respond. And then think about your advisors. Who are the people you are walking with? If they're fools, might be time to find some more companions, different companions. 
But if they're wise, what are they saying about those decisions in your life? Have you actually asked them? And finally, once you ask the wise, godly people in your life and you've already asked God, do what those people are saying to do. I'm telling you, if you do that, unlike Rehoboam, God will come through when you need the wisdom to decide. With that, let's close in prayer and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your wisdom, your wisdom available to us through your word. I think about just all the wisdom that's available through scripture, through the people in the Bible, some who made the wrong decisions, lots of them, some who made the right decisions, God. We wanna be guided by your wisdom. The things that were costly to them, they can provide to us at no cost. And we want to seek your wisdom in those things. Lord, I thank you for the older generations, some of which have been so faithful to proclaiming your might to a future generation, God. Continue to motivate them, inspire them to speak truth and life. And finally, I just, I think about all of those decisions that are hovering in this room. Decisions about relationships, aging parents, kids, school, decisions in our careers, our jobs. God, so many decisions. And God, we want to be guided by your wisdom. And so we hand those decisions over to you. I'm thinking about a few in my own life. Things where I need your help, I need your guidance, I need your wisdom, God. Will you lead us? Will you direct us through your word, through prayer, through the wise people in our lives? Ultimately, God, we want to be a people who follows your wisdom, which is the best wisdom available to guide our decisions. God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray and we thank you. Amen.